0: back to the back porch we have your co-host matthew trollinger how's it going your other co-host cruz
1: chavez bro what's going on man not a whole lot just trying to stay out of this heat it's hot outside today it has been crazy
0: i mean last week was amazing and then yeah these past couple days a hundred and what
1: 103 yeah something like that Um, my my deal in the car earlier on my way here said 106 Oh, my goodness. And then I looked, and it said that the heat index was like 111. People think Texas is hot. Places
0: like Florida are hot. But I feel like people forget Oklahoma. Yeah. Like, don't forget to throw us in there, because it's just as hot, it seems like.
1: Oh, yeah. It's too hot here. Yeah. I like summertime. I like to be warm and not cold, but it's too hot. Yeah, yeah. I, I,
0: I love being cold or cooler especially when i'm sleeping dude mm-hmm. i think that's my biggest thing when it comes to like you know the the summertime because i'll get wrapped up and get all cozy and then 30 minutes later i'm sweating like just crazy i wake up can't go back to sleep now because i'm already awake and i'm sweating so just completely uncomfortable like that's probably the worst part of summer for me
1: yeah i agree and you know how i am i like to keep it cold yeah so when I wake up sweating, it's real bad. Yeah. Not a good time for me. Yeah. What have you been up to? Not much. Uh, finished first my first full week of school. How'd that go? Uh,
0: it went amazing. I can't complain. I mean, of course, there are some things here and there that are like, meh. You know, <sighs> that are like, you don't necessarily like. Yeah. And you can't control. But the overall picture, it was a good move. Yeah. Good, good transition. So. Yeah.
1: I Got to go check out your classroom today after church. It's
0: yeah, pretty cool. I liked it. Yeah. I'm trying to get this I'm trying to get a good thing going here for my students like I, I want them to uh, like for one, I'm trying to set up this monetary system um, and we have FCA on Wednesday nights. Well, I looked at our budget like two weeks ago, I think, and our budget for FCA is like 149 dollars for the entire for the entire year. And I'm like, "What?
1: That's not very much money." That, yeah. You like, got, what is this going to do? When you got
0: all the churches in town coming. Right. I don't I mean, I'm like, "What is this going to do?" And, and we have two FCAs. We have one for the high school and one for the middle school. And that's for both of them? And that's for both. So I'm like, "Listen, we well, got to
1: find a sponsor or something." Yeah,
0: we're going to need we're going to need something. We're going to need something. I don't know what it is. And so I've created this monetary system where I'm going to sell some snacks, right? Some some DP, mm-hmm. maybe uh, maybe honey bun, and some Rice Krispie treats. <laughs> sell them for like 75 cents or so. Um, I'm not making a profit, and none of this is going to my pocket, but it's like it's all going to FCA. Mm-hmm. And so it's a way to, for one, for kids to buy treat like snacks and stuff, and then um, the rest of that will go towards, you know, either buying more snacks or FCA. So hopefully it works out. We'll see how it you goes. You know what,
1: M- Michelle Obama, find out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> She'd be mad you're putting the good <laughs> snacks back in school. Dude, I know. Oh, my gosh. Get rid of. I remember that back in high school. I thought the coolest thing I saw was this- I was in junior high. I was getting ready to go to high school. And I, I went through the cafeteria and I saw they were selling Monster monster drinks
1: <laughs> at the high school at the high
0: school and by the time i got to high school this is like what 2011 mm-hmm. sometime around then sometime around there i can't remember i gotta look back on my history well by the time i got to high school all that was gone
1: i was so mad yeah we used to have like butterfingers and snickers and reeses and i was so excited to be able to buy all that stuff because yep. I got old enough to be in the right building. And then I got there and it was all gone. And then we just had like reduced fat Doritos and had like no, right. no all the baked on them.
0: What was it like the baked? Yeah, the
1: baked Chips. Lays.
0: Yep. Tastes like cardboard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're telling me that's healthier than the original
1: thing? <laughs> what? And all of our pop we had in the pop vending machine was either diet or like the zero calorie stuff which is not healthy. It's got aspartame in it. I don't hey, know. they thought they were doing a good thing. Yeah. They just gave us not good snacks anymore. Yeah. They just took, they just sucked the fun out of school, was what right? it was. And the profit, imagine the profit, if you could go buy a good candy bar. Right. Every day.
0: Okay. Enough fun. <laughs> I mean, actually, enough boring talk. Let's yeah, get this the the real fun. Yeah, this is the fun stuff. <laughs> Okay, so we are in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is instructions to the church. Um, Paul's going to list out a couple things here um, regarding widows and, and regarding encouragement. And uh, this is written directly to the church. Uh, there are times where Paul speaks to the church, um, and then there are times where he speaks directly to like non-believers. Um, and sometimes he'll even speak to both. Um, but in this case, he's speaking directly to the church, just giving them some direction, and so let's just dig in. Let's do it. Okay, so the first, I'll just go. I'll just start off. Um, let's see here. It says, "Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage, uh, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. But if a widow." Has children or grandchildren let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents? For this is pleasing to the sight of the Lord. In the sight of the Lord. She, she who is truly a widow let, left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers uh, night and day. But she, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they might be without reproach but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever let's just stop there there's quite a bit to unpack mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what are your what are your initial notes or your initial thoughts on that
1: so the first thing i would- wrote down was in verse 1 where he says do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father. Paul's basically saying not to attack the elder men of the church with words but to show them respect and kind of try to encourage them.
0: Yes. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I mean, it's it's a respectful thing anyways. Um I was always taught as a kid you respect your elders, you don't mm-hmm. talk back, you don't yell back, you don't, you know, you just be respectful. You say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, no, ma'am, no, sir. I would get flicked in the mouth if I didn't say yes, sir, or no, sir. I would, too. And so I just think it's a it's a respect thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't yell. You don't put someone down who's older than you. Um, for one, their, their wisdom is far greater than yours. And I think too often times uh kids our age or younger, they think they know more than someone else than the than those who are older, I guess.
1: Yeah. I agree. I think I mean even this morning T J made a joke about God creating Adam and Eve in their mid twenties and not in their teens, because in their teens they would have been like, Oh well, I know it all God, I know better (laughs) than you (laughs) I thought that's funny, but it's true. That's kind of goes along with this like I think Paul's just really getting at here of give, give these elder men the respect that they've earned yes. because they're older and have that wisdom. And that's not to say that they won't still make mistakes because we all do, but we should show them that respect that they've earned and not, not just attack at them.
0: Yes. And the same thing for um, older women and the same thing for younger men and younger women. Um, I mean, it just all goes back to being a friend to people. I um, if you're constantly, in, if you're constantly like judging or constantly yelling and correcting, and and you're you're not this like uplifting, encouraging person, people are not going to come to you for advice. They're not going to come to you for uh, for guidance. They're not going to come to you, you know, just to you know get something off their chest. Because I mean, if you are that person, they're the one thing they're gonna expect is for you to say something about them and mm-hmm. put them down as if it's their fault always. And so and, and I know people like that. I, I know people who, um, it's hard for them to to say encouraging words. Um, and it's easier for them just to put someone down or it's easier to blame that person. Um, and maybe that's how they were raised. But I, I just know that <clears throat> scripturally, we can rebuke people and and we can correct them, but you have to be encouraging about it mm-hmm. um, just because it, like, it's a fine balance, I guess.
1: Yeah, you're going to do no good if you just come out and uh, attack somebody from a place of hatred. Yes. There's not going to be any change there. And then the point of you rebuking them is pointless. Yeah. Now, the next thing I thought was kind of cool was how how Paul addresses these people because he refers to treating these older men as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. I think that's cool because as the church body, we're all one. Mm -hmm. We're like a family. And he just lays it out just like that. Mm -hmm. He lays it out and describes all these people, how we should treat them like we would treat our families. So I just thought that was kind of neat, the way he described that.
0: Okay, and then, so he goes in talking about widows in verse 3. How we should honor widows who are truly widows. But then he also gives some guidance. Um, so, I'll just go back and read it. Um, honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show godliness toward their own household to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. So, I think one thing here is... It's you you should be providing for your household mm-hmm. um I think too oftentimes uh maybe not necessarily I'm not gonna say everyone does this, but I think too oftentimes times so, some people can look for handouts and they live off these handouts and um based on what I know as scripture. Or from Scripture, like working is it is a blessing, mm-hmm. to be able to work alone is a blessing, <clears throat> and I think too many people don't see it as that. They look for any handout they can. Um, they don't want to work at all, so they'll, um, you know, they'll live on disability. Or and I'm not I'm not even going to get directly into that because I'm not shaming anyone who lives off disability. Um, never would. I just think that sometimes people take advantage of those things. Yeah, for sure.
1: I think also what we've got to look at when it's talking about the widows is the time period when this was written in. Because today, I mean, yes, don't get me wrong, it's still very important to take care of our widows. But as husbands, we can kind of prepare today because today we have life insurance. When this was written, there was no such thing as life insurance. If your husband died, you're not getting $500,000 or a million dollars to live, to try to get through the rest of your life with. Yeah. And this time your husband dies, you have no income. Yeah. Like you can't afford anything. Yeah. So they really had to make sure that they were looking out for their widows because, I mean, they couldn't eat, they couldn't go nowhere, they couldn't buy anything. Yeah. They literally had nothing when their husbands died if they had no family.
0: Yeah. I think back in the day, even, uh, cause I asked this question and, and it still kind of puzzles me why back in the day, I mean, it was very common to see people who, who would have like 10, 12 kids per family. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you don't really see that. Like if you see a family that's like has 12 kids, you call them crazy, <laughs> right? Cause you want to deal with 12 kids. Um, nowadays, most people have like one, two or three kids.
1: Yeah. I feel like you look at a... Like, typical family, you think of a family of four or a family of five. Yeah. Three kids or two kids. But they would have that many kids
0: because it was expected that those kids would go to work one day. Like, they would work on the farm. They would bring in money. However, they would, you know, sell off cows or uh, just in some way, in some form or fashion, they, they would, once they got to a point to where they could, you know, pick up a rake and start working, I mean that's what they would do. They they would go straight to work, and um, so there were there were plenty. Even though the husband dies, more than likely you had enough like children, whether son or daughters, who could take care of of their mom. Mm-hmm. And I think there might have been times where um, kids were not taking care of their mom. Kids were just kind of like you know just completely ignoring the fact that okay, my, mom, my dad just died. My mom has no one now to take care of her. And so it's just kind of like opening your eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Like opening your eyes to this idea that your parents once took care of you when you were in need. And I, I, I heard this funny joke the other day. Um, and so kind of now like it's, it's like in return, they need our help at some point. And mm-hmm. so we should, we should do them a favor and help them out. And I think too often times like we we just turn the other cheek and just ignore our parents. Um, I think that's one thing for me that has been been a concern because I moved from Texas, mm-hmm. and my sister, my other sister, lives in Norman, and that's not I mean still like four hours from Texas, four hours from where she lives. Yeah, and I have a younger sister who who still lives in Dallas. Um, but I'm just thinking, like, if anything happens to my mom, like, if she loses her job, if she, you know, um, if she were, she doesn't have a house, she rents. But if she were to, you know, have some sort of financial problem or needs something done for her car, like, who's going to be there to help her? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes instead of relying on their family because the family wasn't present or chose to not be present, you know they would rely on someone else. When in fact, like you know, I could easily help her, or my sister could easily help her. And so I just think of situations like that. Like if you're physically able to help your parent, whether your mom or dad, and you choose not to, I think that's what Paul is getting at here, at at the end of here, at the end of this this passage, because it says, um, "But she who is self-indulgent." In, self-indulgent let me see I just lost that Um, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives command these things as well so that they may be without reproach but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever and so Paul just straight out calls them calls them out And it's like, listen, you're, you're worse than someone who has, who has no faith because they don't know better, Mm -hmm. but you know better. And you're choosing not to, you know, help out. You're choosing to be lazy. You're choosing, you know, to just be, be hateful. Um, And I think that's, that's probably one of the bigger family dividing things is when someone's in need, okay, who's going to be there? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like who, who can you actually count on in your family? And it's heartbreaking at times because that's a reality check for some families. It's like, well, I thought I could count on my dad. Nope. I thought I could count on my sister. Nope. And so I just, I, I don't know. I just feel like Paul is really getting at the purpose of, of having even like blood relatives and the purpose of, you know, living with him. Or nowadays we don't necessarily live with our moms and dads. You know, we get married and we leave the house. Mm-hmm. But regardless, like if we can help them, then help them.
1: Yeah. Well and that was a really common practice then that's kinda went away now is they lived in the same like you didn't get married and just move away. You still stayed in the home with your parents. Like your whole family still lived together. So that'd make it even worse of if your dad were to die and you're still living at home with your mom and refusing to take care of her. I can see why he says that's worse than an unbeliever. Yeah. I mean, you literally are living with your mom still and won't take care of her.
0: Won't take care of her. Won't, won't fulfill your responsibilities. Won't contribute to the family. I mean, it's, it, and I think that's even one thing that can even divide a marriage. I'm going to kind of go on off a branch here, because this is talking about, this is talking about moms and dads, but this is also talking about relatives in your household. And so I'd like to think Jenna's my relative. She's my wife. No, that doesn't sound right.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But you're related through marriage. Yeah, relative. We'll call that. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think that can be one dividing thing for marriages. Like where some marriages, you know, the husband feels like he's always working, he's always cleaning, always cutting the grass, always you know doing the dishes, always cooking. And then some wives don't do anything. That can be dividing. And same thing vice versa, like if if the wife is always cleaning and cooking, or if she's always taking care of the kids, always, you know, running people around, you know, doing people favors and stuff, and the husband doesn't do anything, that can be divisive, and I think that can destroy your marriage, I think that can put uh, put you in a bad, bad place because, you know, your wife or your husband no longer can rely on you, you're just you're just there taking up space almost. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just a miserable life. And so I think Paul is trying to address some of the laziness, I guess. Like, yeah. we can't be lazy.
1: I think all he's really asking for is unity. Yeah. Like, just be willing to help each other out. That's yeah. it. Plain yeah. and simple.
0: Pretty simple. And that's the basis of Scripture, of the Bible entirely. I mean, it's about unity. God coming down, you know, from his throne through Jesus. And, I mean, he came and died for us so that we could all be together. Mm -hmm. I I mean, if that doesn't scream unity,
1: then I don't know what else does. Yeah. For sure. You got anything else in that part? No. Okay. I'll read this second part then. Verse 9 says, Let a widow be enrolled... If she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation. They have abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them, let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. I want to stop there? Yeah. Yes. What's your take on that? So, basically, when Paul's talking about being enrolled, he's talking about, like, base. I don't know exactly how it worked then, but I think they kind of had a list of people who were on support from the church. So he's saying, like, if these widows are... 60 or older, go ahead and put them on the list to be helped by the church. If they're not, if they're young enough, if they're under 60, then Paul's outlook here is that they're young enough to either still be able to somewhat provide for themselves or they're young enough to remarry still. So I think that's kind of his way of controlling who receives the help and who doesn't? That way the church isn't just overloaded of anyone who's a widow's coming in and now they run out of money and the church shuts down because, I mean, one church can't provide for everybody's needs. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he kind of lists that out and uh, he kind of gives some examples of of what these widows should look like of being good people of, uh, what's he say? She's brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the feet of saints, cared for the afflicted, devoted herself to every good work. So basically he wants them to be good people as well. Yeah. Like there's, a, there's a standard to uphold, yeah. right? In which we've kind of talked about already in this book when we gave qualifications for other people within the church, of the overseers and the deacons. Yeah.
0: I think there are two perspectives on this. One... The perspective of, um, you know, taking care of widows and, you know, like if you're truly a widow, then yes, like we're going to help you. Like if you're all alone, there's no one there who who will take care of you and and comfort you. And um, like especially for someone who is who's older and obviously remarrying is not in the picture anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, That time has come and passed. Um, And I've met so many women who've probably widowed at like 50 or 60 and sometimes in their 80s, and they don't want to remarry. They're not going to remarry. They don't want to start, quote-unquote, start over. You know what I mean? Um, They'd rather just remain remain a widow um, with just one husband. And um, I think for one... Like, yes, we will take care of you. The other aspect of that, the other perspective is the church needs to step up and take care of their people. Like, the church is not going to just take care of, um, like, for our church. We're blessed. The porch is blessed to be able to have compassion kids, and we live in America where we can, you know, have one or two, and some families probably even have three or four compassion kids in Ethiopia, Mm-hmm. And if you do that, that's amazing. Like God, God wants that from most people who have money to so, you know be able to share that wealth. Be ready to share is what is what Paul talks about. Um, I think he talked about that in First Timothy or maybe in Ephesians. Um, but for your people in your church, Paul is saying we the church needs to take care of their people. Um, and I think there are times where you know. There are times where, like you said, the church just can't pick up everyone,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so there has to be, sadly, there has to be this this high requirement because we can't just take care of everyone. Um, if you're a small church and you know you're not a fully staffed church and you don't have access to all the funds that you know you're or you have limited resources. Like yeah, you're going to be limited on how many people you can help. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a church who can help, again, like you should be ready and willing and be prepared and have all the resources readily available. And I think that's what I love about Inola, is all the churches in this town tend to work together. Like It doesn't matter if you go to First Baptist or um, if you go to the Eden Mennonite Church, or you go to the porch, or you go to Church of Christ or um, the Methodist. Like, during that storm this past season, I mean, all the churches got together and said, hey, we're going to do a food drive. We're going to have fresh food ready to go. Mm-hmm. Who's all, Who Who can help out? And there was like a list of people. And I don't know who coordinated all of this, but I'm sure it started off at the very top and it was like TJ and Pauly. Someone reached up to TJ and Polly and they were like, yes, we'll help out. And then from there, you know, they delegated, hey, we need more help. Hey, we need more help. And right. so... I just think there's there's two different aspects to this this passage. You know, for one, if you're not a truly a widow and you can remarry, like, there's still hope and faith and in, in a future for you in marriage mm-hmm. um, if you're young enough. And then the other part to that is the churches also need to take care of their people.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to break down a little bit on verse 12. He says... In, uh, or verse 11 and 12. He says, "But refuse to enroll younger widows for they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for they've uh, for having abandoned their former faith." So Paul's not condemning these women for wanting to remarry. I think what he's condemning is the actions some some of these widows were taking in wanting to be remarried. And I wrote down, it kind of reminds me of what they call in modern day now, like a rebound relationship. Mm, of yeah. These these women were feeling sad and lonely, and they weren't necessarily going about these relationships in a biblical way. They were more looking... For a companion? Yeah, for a companion. And just <clears throat> just looking to feel that love again, and not not building a scriptural-based... God centered relationship. Mm. They're just looking for somebody to fill that hole.
0: Yeah. And yeah. so I think that's kind of what
1: he's referring to here.
0: Yeah. I think too oftentimes and and people have desires, like good godly desires. And and I think sometimes we confuse uh we confuse our desires, you know, what is godly versus what is just plain pure evil. Mm-hmm. Um and so and, and we know that like God when God created us, He created us with desires, to have you know. I'm sure it. It's almost every woman's desire to get married, and to have kids, and and to grow old and raise your kids, and and to be able to you know grow old with your husband, and and you know, just that kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think sometimes, like those desires, they take over, but then either it becomes like coveting. Where you begin to covet something that someone else has that you don't have, and so Paul is just saying, "Dude, just get married." Mm. Like, like that you know you have this desire. It was almost like he was, he was stopping these women from remaining widows. It was like, I know you want to remain a widow and not remarry, but you're doing more damage to yourself as a widow than you are, you know, than you would if you were married. Right? Because there's still so much youth and passion in you going back to Ruth, the book of Ruth. I mean, it was, she was a widow Mm -hmm. and, um, what was the mom's name? Naomi, Naomi. Yeah. Naomi, she was like, she straight up told her daughter-in-laws to go back to their hometown and remarry. Yeah. And, uh, because I mean, they were young enough. Don't let your passions, don't let your passions lead you astray kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you can take corrective action, you know, go down the right path. And Naomi knew that that was the next step for these women. That yes, it was a sad, sad thing that they lost her husband, but there's still a future for them in marriage and in having children. And so go off and do that. And I at the end of Ruth, at, at the end of Ruth, we saw that anyways with Boaz. Mm-hmm. I mean, he redeemed her. And, you know, he just took her in. And so um, I think that's another thing that sometimes even good Christian men overlook. Um, When we see a widow, that's probably not our, that's probably not most men's, um, like, most guys are probably not going to be interested in someone who's been married. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Or who has been in several marriages but Paul is kind of talking, you know, take having this special take on marriage and those who, you know, are widows now. Whether whether you're a man or a woman, um, but he's saying just remarry. And mm-hmm. It's not a bad thing to remarry. No,
1: I agree. Uh, the only other thing I wrote on that little section was. Uh, which we've basically already covered. But I wrote in verse 16 when he talks about uh, let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. I just wrote the church isn't burdened by widows, but can be burdened financially by being taken advantage of by people who don't truly need the help, which we've kind of already talked over.
0: Yes. Okay. So go ahead and wrap this up. This is the second. This is the third passage. Uh, picking up in in Verse 17. And of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of the hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Uh, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. I feel like I'm using that word wrong. (laughs) So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. And that's how he concludes uh, chapter 5. So,
1: what is your take on this last passage? So, first thing I wrote in this passage, do you have anything on seventeen? first um no okay i think that's kind of pretty self-explanatory in there but uh verse 19 i put accusations must be thoroughly investigated not just accepted as truth satan will work hard to tear down ministries because he says do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Yeah. So I think it's it's just important within the church that when an accusation is brought up, that it's, it's thoroughly looked at and investigated upon and not just saying, like not just accepting that accusation as truth yeah. right off the bat. Yeah. Because, I mean... Preachers get a lot of hate. Yeah. They do. Uh, we live in a worldly world, and anyone professing the Word of God like, are very subject to evil spirits working against them and trying anything they can to remove them from their position yeah. in ministry. That's kind of what I wrote from that. Absolutely. I think too often times, right now...
0: There are so many pastors who are being exposed um, for something. It doesn't matter what it is for something, um, and it's not all the same. You would assume it's all the same, like something to do with you know. You would assume it's probably something to do with um, like someone being unfaithful, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, truly, they're all di- all different kind of things uh, or sorts of accusations that can be brought forth. But with these accusations, you have to be careful because the moment that you bring up something, the moment you address something in the church, just know that's going to begin the process of division in the church.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Always, it always will. And I'm not going to um, in- discourage anyone from, you know, if they know something that needs to be addressed, to not address that. But I'm just saying, just know that when you address something, in a church like there's probably going to be some pretty good division.
1: Yeah, you better make sure you're 100% confident about what you, whatever yes. your accusation you're bringing up. Yes. Which I mean like you just said worse that's not a bad thing to do if there's something that does need address because he tells us in the very next verse all those who persist in sin rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So he tells us to call out sin, yeah, to rebuke sin, not just let it slide. So it's not it's not wrong to bring up an accusation in front of the church if it's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, But I guess what we're getting at is just if it is something you're going to bring up, there's going to be division no matter what, whether it's right or wrong, the accusation that you're bringing. So just make sure that you're confident in whatever you're bringing up. Yeah. Um, he also talks about how,
0: he also talks about saying how he says, I charge you to keep these these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Um, so prejudging, when something should be addressed and it's not addressed, and instead of addressing the, addressing the issue, you just choose to talk bad about the person, or you, you choose to badmouth them, um, even to their face, you might even say, you might call them whatever, um, judging them. Um, But it's specifically talking about prejudging, like before the the issue is even addressed, Mm -hmm. before you even find out if this is true or
1: false. Right. You immediately go to the fact that this person's guilty. Yeah, you said it, it must be true. Right. I don't like this guy anyway, so I was just looking for something to believe that he did wrong. And even within that, it's interesting how Paul talks about
0: both prejudging and then also showing partiality without without the truth actually being revealed, people will take sides mm-hmm. and immediately that's partiality right there. whether yeah. you believe that person did it or you believe they didn't do it. You're showing partiality like like I, I just I, I think back to to some people who um, I think back to people who say, you know this person would never do that you know probably more so with parents and their kids like my child would never do that my child is is an angel kind of thing like yeah. believing that that this person's perfect almost mm. but you can't show partiality you should you should seek out the truth and do it in a righteous way not in a way that's going to destroy that person or belittle anyone in the church And God's going to take corrective action, like He's going to. The church will. I mean, if that person loses their job, if it's a pastor or if it's a deacon or if it's anyone within the church, like, it's going to be addressed and you have to watch it unfold. But then going as far as to ruining that person's life,
1: I think that can be taken too far at times. Mm -hmm. I wrote on this, what we're talking about, I put, we should not show partiality to sin. Based on class, race, or gender, sin is sin, no matter who commits it. Yes, and uh, Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-six says, "For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through through faith. For as many of for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ." There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So I just thought that kind of goes along with that of not not showing partiality like, oh, well, you know, somebody accused somebody of having an affair, and you look at them and say, oh, well, she, that's a woman, so she probably did, you know? Yeah. Or using race or wealth status, you know, any anything that shows partiality. Yeah. Oh, yeah, to avoid, and that's something we still see very present <clears throat> today, and it's because it's easy to do that, like depending on
0: how you feel about that person, mm-hmm. if you've always hated this one person or you just never really liked this one person, the moment that something the moment that they stumble oh you're you're ready to call them out, you're ready to call them the the worst person in the world, like you're just ready you know to join that that hatred club, basically, yeah ready for them to give you a reason to actually hate them. Mm -hmm. Um, So this last, the last few verses, um, not being hasty to lay on the hands nor take part in sins of others. um, Keep yourself pure. I feel like that's pretty straightforward. Um, You know, we, I think as leaders, we talked about this a little bit too um, in, in previous podcasts, but like, we can't be too quick to to, to appoint people mm-hmm. um, who are in ministry who are not quite ready. Um, and then the other part to that is, um, nor take part in the sins of others, keeping yourself pure. Like, like if you are, if you have, if you play a big role in leadership, you are not you are not to to act righteous just in the church, but also. Everywhere, like everywhere in your life, like in your marriage, you should be a good Christian man. And to your kids, as a, as a father to kids, you should be a good Christian man. Um, as a deacon in the church or as a pastor in the church, you should be a good Christian man. Regardless of what the setting is, Paul is saying we need to, we need to live our lives as if we're just, you know, we walk in the Spirit everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. Not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, not just when we're around, you know, our particular friend group, but everywhere we go and not being ashamed of it.
1: Right. Not not being a Christian as a hobby. Yes. Not just doing it a couple times a week. Uh, the next verse I thought was kind of interesting. He says... No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Oh, dude, people love that verse. I know.
0: <laughs> this, that verse alone is probably what gives people the reason to drink.
1: Yeah, it is. I've, I've heard that so I've, many I've heard, times. I have too. And I did a little bit of research on it just because I've heard that so many times. <clears throat> so the water they had back then was not purified and clean water like what we drink today. And from the research I was doing, Timothy was, he was being abstinent. He was refraining from drinking any, any kind of alcohol, just trying to set a good example as a young leader. But Paul actually had to come and tell him, Timothy, you, it's okay, drink a little bit of wine. This, this is good for you. Like you. It helps with you. And it even says your frequent ailments. So he was frequently getting sick from just drinking this dirty water all the time. Yeah. So I think it's kind of cool the the way it just shows that, like, God uses natural remedies. Yeah. Because this wine, just Cleanse having him. a little bit of it actually cleansed him. Yeah. And helped him. So I just see that today of, you know, like, doctors and medicine, yes, it can be abused and used for bad, but... God gives us natural remedies to help take care of ourselves. And I yep. think it expects us to take care of ourselves.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I can't say any more.
1: You hit <laughs> it right nailing it. So. Um, and then the last couple of verses says, the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. I just kind of took that as, some sin is easy to see, and some is not. So we got to be careful of, you know, judging other people, I feel like, based on the sins that we see, because we all struggle with sin, no matter, mm-hmm. no matter how prevalent it is for everyone to see or how well we hide it. Yeah. We all have sin. Can you do me a favor? What?
0: Look up the word Conspicuous. Conspicuous? Yes. I'm okay. curious what the definition of conspicuous is. I feel like you have to say it like that, conspicuous. That almost seems like, uh,
1: it almost seems vulgar. Standing out so as to be clearly visible. Okay. So that's where I was getting the, um, like the that some sin is visible, some is not. Same as some works are visible, in the next verse, he says, also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So good deeds that you do, whether you do it in front of everybody or do it, you know, kind of hidden back, like eventually people will see that. Yeah. Same with your sin. Even if you hide your sin, eventually it will come to the light. Yeah. You can't stay in the darkness forever.
0: Yeah. I think that's when we talked about that on Wednesday night you know, bringing your sin to light. You confessing your sin, not just before God, but also confessing your sin before, you know, your accountability partners, people who who can actually help you. And um, so Paul is addressing, addressing this problem because, I mean, like you said, at some point it's going to come to light, mm-hmm. whether you are willing to show it or not. I think too oftentimes... Um, kids right now don't realize the decisions that they make right now will forever change their future. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's probably not as bad, but then other times some kids just aren't lucky and Satan is looking for a really good reason to, to hurt you or hurt your family. And I've just, I've known so many families back and even back when I was in high school, not families, uh, high schoolers, who did something because they thought it was fun or funny, well, the kid ends up paralyzed, or um, the cops get get called, you know, are called, someone gets arrested, now they're in jail, they're in prison, now they have a record, um, some of them, you know, there was a, someone brought a gun, someone gets shot, and I mean, there's just so many crazy things, and so I feel like, I feel like that is just a really good verse for the younger audience Mm -hmm. because too often times we let, we let these passions this again, going back to the good desires and the bad desires or the good passions and the bad passions. Sometimes we let these bad passions take over and they cause great pains and they forever change the course of your future. Mm -hmm. And, And I mean, I really try to tell our kids that, especially if they got a new driver's license, um, some kids on Wednesday nights they we're not dumb, like we know what kids get into these days, mm-hmm.
1: and so it's easy to call it's easy to know you know what they've been into um and that's just an example right there of things that you know they think are being done in the dark, but they're still brought to the light, yeah, whether you think they are or not like they yeah. they'll still come up they still come up, especially with just
0: technology nowadays it's It's really easy to know what kind of a person you are. I can go to anyone's anyone's Facebook page or Instagram page and I can tell what kind of person you are immediately just by looking at your page or by looking at your story. Mm -hmm. So, gotta be careful and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta walk, walk carefully. So, that's all I gotta say on that. That's all I got too. Okay. So, thank you guys for joining. That was the conclusion of chapter 5 of First Timothy, unless you have something else to add.
1: Nope. I'm okay.
0: Good. Well, um, again, as always, if y'all have any questions about this chapter, or maybe we skipped over something that you were really wanting us to go over or elaborate more on, we're always open to questions. Um, if you know Matthew directly, you can text him. If you know me directly, you can always text or call me. Um, if anything, just shoot us a message through you know apple podcast or through spotify or however way you need to okay thank you guys for joining and we'll see you next week Adios.